So, anybody know what this is? Remember these things? It's a map. You remember these maps? For those of you youngins, you, you don't remember this. If you were going someplace, you know, you're going to go up to northern Minnesota. You had to find out where you are, where you're going, then you have to plan your route. Remember that? You had to look at this stuff. Yeah. What? You, you put it across your steering wheel and looked while you were driving. Oh, and we thought texting and driving was bad. Right? Now, seriously, uh, I may have looked at my map while I was driving a time or two. We also had these uh, big, big books that had a map of each state of the United States, you know, and you just follow them and did your road trips. And, and then there was this thing with AAA. Um, <laughs> yeah, some of you already, you know, AAA, if you were going on a long trip, you just reached out to AAA and they would send you a, a trip tick, you know, just a path and how you go. Well, uh, Today, you know, we, we, things are a little bit different, right? Uh, we have this thing called GPS, or Global Positioning System. It tells you exactly where, right? Oh, we have all fallen in love with uh, the Global Positioning System, our GPS. Um, and so we, you know, open up our phone, get out the maps, and we just follow along. Now, we, we still have to put in where we're going in order to get the direction. And, it, you know, every once in a while, uh, Google Maps may mess you up or something. Uh, I remember this last January, I had a doctor appointment. And so I put it in the phone and or looked up the address. And off Terry and I went. We got there and walked in. And, you know, people go, like, yeah, so they haven't been here for like two years. <laughs> I was like... So where are they? Well, Google was wrong. So we eventually did make it to an appointment. Um, but getting direction and knowing where you're going is an important part of life. And whether it's for an individual or for a business or an organization, often for an organization or a business, we call this vision. Vision is about where you're going as an organization. Uh, it is about who you want to become. As you look into the future, who do you want to be? What does that look like? Uh, personally, it's also good to have a vision for where, where you want to be. Where do you want to be in three years or in five years? Because if you don't have a vision, then you're not going to really go anywhere. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this, Where there is no revelation or vision... People cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. The Hebrew word there for vision or revelation is chazon. Did you get that? You gotta, you gotta get that guttural chazon. It's not calzone. I know some of you probably want to run out and get one of those. No, it's chazon, um, and that's. It's vision, it's prophecy, it's divine communication, and it comes from the root word that means to see. So it's really all about seeing. So where there is no 
vision or no divine communication, people cast off restraint. And the Hebrew word there talks about casting off restraint is to let go or untie or to run wild. Not that any of us here in this room would run wild. But it's a crazy thing about Hebrew. And what I love about Hebrew is most words... See, for, for most of us in our Western culture and in the English, our, our, our word definitions are very linear. It's straight to the point. But you dive into the Hebrew, and all of a sudden these Hebrew words have these multi-layered depth uh, definitions. And so this is one of those words that, yes, it means to let go and tie, run wild, but it also means to lead or to act like a leader, which cast off strain, act like a leader. So I kind of paraphrase the first part, or, or this Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, And so this is the Brad Friedline paraphrase. Where there is no divine communication that enables the people to see, they will let go untie, run wild, and lead themselves without seeing. Ah, but there's a but in this verse, right? Um, but blessed is the one who heeds wise instruction. To heed is to guard or to protect or to treasure. And the actual Hebrew word for wise instruction here is Torah. So the one is blessed who heeds Torah. Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Torah, for the writer of the Proverbs, is the divine communication. And if you and I heed the instruction of the divine communication of God, we will see where we are to go. So... Where are we going? As I said earlier, vision is important for organizations, but vision is also important for us personally. And vision comes at different levels. And so we can have our own personal chazon or, or vision, and that's important because, again, we need to see where we're going. Where, where does God want me to go? Remember, you... You are God's creation. He has knit you together. You, he's given you gifts and talents and passion. He has a direction for you to go. Where, where are you going? Did you realize that your family can have a vision, a divine revelation, a, hey, here's what our family is really, our, our vision for our family that, that's possible. It's some, some families, they, they are, you know, God lands them in a certain spot. This is where they live. This is where they work. And God gives them a divine direction. What if we began asking God, what is the divine revelation for my family? Of course, the local church is another place that has vision. But even the big C church has vision and so whatever the group or the person, it is important for us to know what our vision is. What does God have for you? 
What has he revealed to you as your preferred foreseeable future? Crossroads Church five years ago went through an intentional process as a community to discern, discern our core values, our mission, and our vision. Our core values are these seven things up here. God's word, love, transformation, fellowship, spirit-led, prayer, and worship, going. These are our foundational pieces. This is what we build everything on. And you can go to our website and look at these. We're not going to break these down today. But I want to encourage you to know them and to understand them. That God's word, am I in it? Is it in me? Love, am I loving? Like Jesus. Our mission is impacting people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. The mission is who we are. It's our promise to the world around. We promise our community, the world around us, that we're going to impact you by the love of Jesus as we're all going through this journey of life. It's our promise. But today I want to spend some time talking about our vision Why? Because our vision, again, it's the divine communication that God has given us to see what our preferred future is. And for me, because we, five years ago, communally discerned this, this is who God has wants Crossroads to be. So we are wanting to be moving together towards this preferred future. Second reason why I want to talk about it today is I head out on my sabbatical at the end of this week. And part of my sabbatical, as you know, Terry and I are going to be spending some, a couple of weeks in Israel, which we're really, really excited about. But also part of it is I'm, I really want to spend some time really looking at our vision and in the process of looking at our vision really begin the process of discerning what is the strategy for us as we move forward. What is, how do we get there? On the map, how, what, how do we get to here, our vision? And so our vision. We haven't seen this for a while, and part of that is my thing. I, I feel like I haven't done a good job over the last couple of years of keeping our vision before us, and that is something that I want to do better at. And our vision is this, a Christ-centered, faith-filled community, being transformed as we encounter God's love, being equipped to serve according to the Spirit's gifting, being intentional participants in God's restorative work, giving glory to God in all things. This is our preferred future. Now, I know it's a bunch of words up there, but all those words are very intentional All of those words give us a picture of where God wants us to be. So I'm going to walk through our vision. The first part, Christ-centered. It's pretty simple. We want Christ at the center of everything we do. No matter whether it's Sunday morning, or it's small groups, or it's youth group, or children, whatever it is we're doing, Christ needs to be at the center. Remember, we've talked about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, and a quote that we use from John Mark Comer, be with Jesus, 
Be like Jesus. Do what Jesus does. Be with Jesus is about having Christ be at the center. It's Paul's words, for me to live is Christ. It's his words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. That's all about being Christ-centered, and we want to be that way. We also want to be faith-filled. Hebrews 11, the writer, verse 6, the writer says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You see, if if God has given us a vision, a direction, this, this is what direction he wants to go, and we choose to go our own direction, that means we don't have faith in God. We need to continue to move towards what God has called us to do. Whether it's us individually, us as a church crossroads, or us as believers around the world, we need to continue to pursue and seek after God and what He has for us. So as a Christ-centered, faith-filled community, then we want to be transformed as we encounter God's love. Transformation, that's one of our core values. It's to change from the inside out. It's wanting to be more like Jesus. Remember, being with Jesus, being like Jesus. If I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to become a different person. In Romans 12, we, in verses 1 and 2, we get these words. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Changing the way you think is how we are transformed. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You know we can change the way we think, right? But here's the problem. For most of us, we don't change the way we think until some hard trial comes Something really difficult meets us head on, and now we have to change. That's the one way most of us change. We we don't choose change. We wait until that's the last thing. But do you know (laughs) that if we are with Jesus and be like Jesus, and we, it's our desire to be more like Christ, do you, do you know that you can do things to begin to change? You don't have to wait for the trial. You don't. But it's what we do, all of us. I, I'm one of them. Romans 2, 4, Paul says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to Repentance. If we focus on God's grace and His love and His mercy and His blessing, it should lead us to change. I 
Acts 2, 42 through 47 is this great description of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. Everyone was filled in, with awe as many wonders and signs were done. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. Every day they continued to meet together. They praised God together. They broke bread together. And the Lord added to their number daily those being saved. How cool would it be to be a part of a church like that, right? We do that when we encounter the love of God and we are transformed. You see, those people that were living like that, they were being transformed. They were changing. So how do we encounter God's love? By being with Jesus. How do we be with Jesus? Things called spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. I know, it's kind of boring, right? It's called reading your Bible and praying and silence and solitude and fasting and serving and generosity. Um, it happens individually and corporately. I, I know it, it's not rocket science and it's not some magic, woohoo, but it's being daily disciplined and in practice of reading your Bible and praying and fasting every day. It's doing it every day. Reading your Bible every day. Praying every day. That's how we get to Jesus. That's how we encounter God's love. One of the things that we need to change as far as our understanding is that we think that the way we encounter God's love is by going to the latest and greatest church that has the latest and greatest worship team playing the latest and greatest worship songs followed by the latest and greatest preacher preaching the latest and greatest message. We get this emotional experience. And we think, we've encountered God's love. I'm not saying we don't encounter God's love, but you know, most of the time we encounter God's love when it's just you and your Bible alone. Or, with you and two or three others reading the Bible together and praying together. If, the only, if you're relying on Sunday morning for your encounter with God's love, trust me. Eric and I, we don't have it in us. We're human. Encountering God's love is about spiritual practices and spiritual disciplines. It's hard because we live in a consumer culture. And that consumer culture is in the church. So being transformed as we encounter God's love. The second thing is we want to be equipped to serve according to the Spirit's gifting. Do you know that you are uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit? Do you know that? Ephesians 2.10, one of my favorite verses, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to walk in good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. He has put us together. Your gifting, your talents, your passions, put together by God, and God made you uniquely to do the work that he has called you to do. There are a number of Verse, passages in the Bible that talk about gifts and being a part of the body. One of them is Romans 12, 
verses 5 through 8. So in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in advance with, in accordance with your faith. If it is to serve, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We've we all have been gifted. We're supposed to do what God has given us to do. Many of us in the church really don't know what our gifting is. We all have gifts. The Greek word charismata that have been given to us by the Holy Spirit. We all have these gifts, and they're for the body. All you have to do is look in your past and just take, where, where have you seen God work in your life? And that'll help you see and understand where your gifting is. From the time I was a little boy in grade school, I kept getting put into leadership positions. Sixth grade, we had this walking patrol. We had sidewalks that went, you know, from the neighborhood to the schools. This is back when everybody walked to school. And we had flags and these bright orange vests. And we'd go out and stand in the middle of the road, put those flags down and stop and let the kids go across. <clears throat> in, in sixth grade, I was chosen as captain of the crossing guard. What? I had no idea. Where did that come from? But it was the beginning. In junior high, God put me in different leadership positions. In senior high, in other leadership positions. Last week, I showed a crazy picture of me and three other guys. This is when we were in China. I was 21 years old. The director of the group came and talked to me and said, I want you to lead this group. I was 21. I was going to lead a group traveling around the United States, 21. I, I'm a leader because God has gifted me to be a leader. The ironic thing for me is that for years I thought I wasn't. Because I wasn't like that leader over there or that leader over there. Each of you are gifted. Peter, in 1 Peter 4, says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards to God's grace, uh, stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is what we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. You use your gift to serve others in the body. That's not coming from me. I'm not trying to recruit my volunteers. I'm just reading you scripture. Peter goes on. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. When you and I are serving others with the gifting he has given us, that is worship. We are offering praise to God. Okay? Worship is more than us singing a bunch of songs on Sunday morning. Okay? Serving. 
We need to do a way better job of that here at Crossroads. In fact, in my opinion, we don't equip people according to their spirit's gifting at all. That's on me. We've had this vision for five years, and we haven't done it. That will change. This fall, I'm going to do a whole series on equipping people in the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given them. Part of my sabbatical is I'm going to churches that are doing this really well. The third thing we have is intentional participants in God's restorative work. So once you and I are in the process of being transformed as we encounter God's love, spiritual practices, disciplines, and gathering together, and once we are in the process of being equipped according to the Spirit's gifting, then we together can intentionally participate in God's restorative work. You see, that's why God sent Jesus. Yes, it's for our salvation, but it's not so that we can pray some certain prayer so we don't go to hell. God sent Jesus to restore and usher in his kingdom. If you remember, we talked about a year ago when we talked about uh, the great deception from John Mark Homer, deceptive ideas from Satan play into our disordered desires, our flesh, and become normalized in our culture, the world... Our world is a mess, right? Look at our world. Our sexuality was created by God as a way for a man and a woman to celebrate an intimate relationship with each other. Satan has destroyed that in our world. Marriages and families were created by God. One man, one woman, one flesh, and a place for discipleship. The evil one has destroyed that in our world today. The church is the body of Christ who in unity is created... To bring glory and honor to God, and the evil one is destroying that. Jesus came to restore. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we see the story of Jesus coming into the temple, and it says, He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up on the Sabbath day, and he went into the synagogues, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's all about restoration. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And for the people in the synagogue, that was heresy. 
because they knew that that was a prophecy about the Messiah. And so Jesus was sitting down and saying, I'm it. Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He came to restore that which the evil one has destroyed. This prophecy is from Isaiah 61. And in our vision to partner with God in the restoration, this restoration plan began 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. Paul tells us that you and I have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this, Now... You are ministers of reconciliation. Jesus came, you and I, he reconciled this relationship between you and God, me and God. Now you're the minister of reconciliation. You are to go in the world and you are to bring people to Jesus so that their relationship with God can be restored. It's a partnership. We get to partner with God. So in Isaiah 61 is where this prophecy is that Jesus read from. And in verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 61, it talks about you and I. It says, they will be called oaks of righteousness. Who are the they? The poor, the brokenhearted, the captive. You and I before Jesus. That's, that's who the oaks of righteousness are. Picture that a big old giant oak. That's who, who we are. This oak of righteousness is a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor or His glory. Then the prophecy says this. They, these oaks of righteousness, you, me, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. We are the oaks of righteousness. We are the planting of the Lord. We are to rebuild, restore, renew. And that is why part of our vision is that we intentionally participate in God's restorative work. And in everything, we give glory to God. So, here's our vision. I want you to close your eyes a moment, and I'm going to read these words, and just let the words of this vision sink into your mind and your heart, and my prayer is that God will give you a picture of maybe what that looks like here at Crossroads Church. Our vision, a Christ-centered, faith-filled community being transformed as we encounter God's love, being equipped to serve according to the Spirit's gifting, being intentional participant in God's restorative work, giving glory to God in all things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the vision and the mission and the core values that you have given us as a church. We surrender ourselves to your leading and your direction. 
All our own agendas we lay aside. And today, today we commit to pursuing what you have laid out for us as a body of believers. My prayer is that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to do the work that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.